tonight I'm uh, I'm starting a uh, what what I would I think is a very unusual series of lessons. I actually heard Dr. Mark Rutland t- teach on this uh, subject a number of years ago, and and I, I I sort of want to give you my version of it. When he taught it, he actually taught it in the context of talking to pastors and and church leaders and that sort of thing, and. And I want to try to adapt it and bring it to the church level because it's something that's very real and something that's very powerful. Uh, but uh, we're, we're going to talk for the next just a few weeks, very short series. We're going to be talking about spiritual terrorism. And I know you hear that. That's a very, that's a very odd sounding turn of the phrase, turn of phrase. But, uh, you know, we all understand what terrorism is. We, uh, you know, but we sometimes don't realize that it's not just something that happens you know, like in the Middle East or, or in uh, radical elements of, around the world, politically speaking, or anything like that. Or, uh, but there is such a thing as spiritual terrorism. And it, it happens in churches and in families and ministries all across this nation. And, and it just seems to me that as, uh, as I was praying about this series, you know, that, that this teaching just seems to be more relevant today than at almost any other time in my entire life. Because people are just living in terror right now, it just seems. They're, they're, they're in terror of financial ruin. They're, they're in terror of, of riots. They're in terror of violence in the streets. They're in, they're in terror of what's going to happen with the upcoming election. They're, they're, they're in terror of COVID-19. And, and I just want to say this. And I tell you what, if, if there's anything I say tonight that is a word from the Lord. It is this sentence right here. And I hope that everybody hears this and takes this to heart. God does not intend for you to live in fear. God does not intend, He does not want you to live in terror. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter what's going on in your life. And, and, and so tonight we're just going to begin on uh, some of these things and and what I'm going to do tonight is, it's really, I, I don't think this is going to be a very long uh, lesson tonight that we're going to be talking about, but I'm just want to give you a short overview of terrorism and how it works. And, and it applies in the natural realm, but it just as much, just, it's just as true that it applies in the spiritual realm. So uh, we're, we're going to uh, do that tonight. Then next week, we're going to begin to look at how this plays out in churches and in ministries and organizations, even businesses and families next week. We're going to be talking about things like this, the, the terrorism of Jezebel and the, the terrorism of Absalom, some of those kind of things, and, and, and talking about how, how these spirits get loose in a church and just tear things up. And, and so uh, I'm excited about this and um, a little nervous too because I've never taught anything quite like this, but I just believe this is God's Word for us right now. But I want to start by reading from one of my favorite psalms, and it's one of the most beloved of all psalms. Anybody that's gone through a hard time, if you love the psalms, you love this psalm. It's Psalm 91. So I want you to read it together. We're just going to read the fir- uh, the, through the first five verses. It says, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He shall deliver you from the snare of the hunter and from the deadly pestilence. He shall cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you shall find protection. His faithfulness shall be your shield and wall. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. 
Now, would you just pause for one more moment and just pray together with me right now? Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just sweep over the threshold of our souls, God. Enter, God, by your might into the inner man of every person listening. Lord, I'm not just asking you for a word for for a moment or for this, this moment in time. I'm asking you, God, and believing you, Lord, in this present moment for a word that will change our lives forever. I, I, I know, Lord God, I know you want to do that. And I know you're here in this moment. However, Lord, I'm, I'm also asking that you would give us, uh, give us an enduring word, Lord. I pray that you will inform the leadership decisions of some who may be listening to this for many, many years if Jesus tarries. And I pray, Lord God, that when when they are beset by terrors and by terrorists, that you will give them wise and, wise and steadfast decision-making. And I believe you for it, God. And I thank you for it. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Picture in your mind. You're at work in your office. The same office to, in which you have worked every day for the last 16 years. And you, you parked your car in the same place, the same spot that you've always parked it, or maybe, maybe that day you, you ride your, you rode the train into the city and you've disembarked from the train and you've shuffled onto the elevator and you've gone up to the 81st floor and you just, you've just spread out your work on your desk and you've begun to work when, when 10 floors below you, a 747 crashes into the building and the horror of 9-11 is upon you, just like that. Or you and your family have woken up in a small town in northern Israel and you've awakened your children and you've gotten them ready for school and they're preparing to leave the house and all of a sudden missiles like arrows begin to rain down on your town. Terrorism. What makes terrorism work? How does it work? Why does it work? What, what makes it work? Well, you know what the terrorist depends on is destabilization. That's that's all he or she cares about. Ruthless, remorseless, without conscience. All he cares about is to destabilize the leadership to such an extent that those around the leadership will begin to cry out peace at any cost. Their only goal goal is to disrupt things. And I want you to remember, we're, we're talking about in general, this is not just true in the physical world, this is true spiritually as well. There are those that their only goal is to disrupt uh, leadership so that they can get their way. We'll talk more about that in coming weeks. But, but the goal of the terrorist is to disrupt things. I mean, some of you are old enough, you, you'll remember the unrest and the student protests during the Vietnam War. Uh, anybody here remember the shootings at Kent State? Anybody here you remember those? That's, that was a little before my time. I was too young. I don't remember that. But, uh, you know, a, a National Guardsman lost control. Somebody fired. Somebody else fired. Who knows what really happened? But college students were shot down dead on the campus of Kent State University. During that same time period at another university, they were having student pro- protests inside one of the administration buildings and Whether it was deliberate or not, I do not know, but someone dropped a cigarette into one of the trash cans and an administration building was burned down. And they called out the National Guard in response to that. It was just a horrible, terrifying time. Well, after the burning of that building, 
And after they called the National Guardian, the, the university president of that school became the focal point of the controversy. Now, in retrospect, we can look back on, on it with a much more clarity than maybe they had in the moment there. But, but we look back and we say, we look at them and we say, wait a minute, he didn't burn down the administration building. He, he didn't start the, the riots. He didn't start the war. The, 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 I mean, as far as we know, he didn't even support the war. We don't know any of those things. But the, the point of the riots on that campus worked. It worked because it allowed the extended constituency of the university to focus on the president. And they said, if, he, if we'll just remove the president, then all of this trouble will go away. I mean, there were signs, you know, fire the president. There were sit-ins at his office and other things like that. And the idea was, fire the president and all of this will stop. And, and, and that's what destabilizing, destabilizing agents always, always count on. They just want to create havoc at, at anybody's cost, at, at any, anybody's expense. I mean, what about the woman who walks into a crowded coffee shop in Tel Aviv, Israel, and sets down a backpack, backpack and walks out past a pregnant woman with a two-year-old on her lap and never gives it a second thought before the bomb goes off. What makes it work? Well, I'm here to tell you what makes terrorism work is weakness. The terrorist says to himself, if we can create enough havoc, if we can create enough confusion, if we can destabilize things enough, then we will, we will not become the point, but the leadership will become the point. And I'm telling you, you see this playing out all over the world in so many different ways. And, I, and I'm going to tell you something now that I, I want you to listen to this, but I don't, I don't, I don't like telling you this. I, I, don't, I don't like saying it. I don't like hearing it come out of my mouth. I don't even like thinking it, but I don't want you to, to hear me when I say there is a spiritual connection in spirit and in, and in modus operandi, the method of operation, there is a spiritual connection between a radical, fastest terrorist and a destabilizing gossip in a local church. They, they move in the same spirit. They, they operate in the same spirit. They, they, you know, they, they want the pastor removed, and so they cause enough confusion, and eventually the people of the church say, well, if we just remove the pastor, everything will be better. We, we, we just don't want this confusion around us anymore, uh, and it becomes, no longer is it about the gossip, it's not about the campaign to have the pastor removed anymore, it's not about the rebellion, it's not about any of that, it becomes about the pastor. Therefore, the, the cause of the confusion ceases to be the issue. And destabilization has won the day and a lesson has been learned. You know, it's, it's one of the tactics that is used even in, in, in illegitimate labor negotiations. Now, there are legitimate forms of labor negotiation, but there are also illegitimate, illegitimate forms for organizing. And one of those is destabilization, where it says, if I can just cause enough havoc in the organization, I can, I can get the CEO removed, somebody else, somebody will have to be fired. They'll fire some vice president just to calm everybody down. And they say, well, at least they're taking some action. But that man didn't cause the destabilization. What makes it work? Well, what makes terrorism work is that somebody says giving in 
would be better than rockets. Giving in would be better than, than bombs. Just giving in is better. Just give them what they want. At least nobody will blowing, be blowing up our kids in, in Starbucks. And it sounds like an easy way out. However, it is a desperate, terrible lesson to teach in the long run because it empowers the terrorists for next time. Now remember, I'm not just talking about political terrorism. I'm talking about spiritually speaking as well. That's really our focus. This is just foundational. But, but it, let me just put it like this. Imagine if I came off this platform and, and uh, you know, just began to punch somebody that was smaller than me. Just, you know, just, just knock them senseless. And, and I would be careful to choose somebody smaller than me because that would be, you know, otherwise it would be a very, very bad miscalculation on my part. But however, su- suppose I did that. Suppose I came down and, and, and I grabbed somebody and I started punching them. And, and in that moment, that person looked at me and said, wait a minute, I am not letting this old dude whip me. And he just popped me back. Then all of you jumped up on and you jump on him and you say, hey, you can't be beating the pastor. How did he get to be the bad guy? See, what a terrorist counts on is to blow up your house and then blame you for it. What a spiritual terrorist counts on is to to create confusion and problems within the church or within a ministry or within a family and then point the finger at you and say, you're the problem. You know, it's, it's really the same tactic that, that many rapists use. They rape a woman and they, they say, hey, she just got what she, she deserves. She shouldn't dress like that in public. That's, that's a terrorist t- tactic. Destabilize, attack, and blame the victim. But let me also just say that terrorism is not new to the Middle East. The Philistines were bullies. Think of Goliath. They used threats and intimidation and brutality to intimidate the Israeli army. The Amalekites at Ziklag uh, attacked defenseless women and children. They waited, you know, they didn't attack David and his army, but, but they waited until David and his soldiers were gone from the city. And then they attacked the defenseless city and kidnapped women and children. And it was cowardly. Absolutely cowardly. You know, I think one of the most disgusting and reprehensible things that was said around 9-11, it just absolutely turned my stomach, but it was when uh, a man named Bill Maher said that those who flew the planes into the Twin Towers, he, he said that at least they were courageous. No, they were cowards. They were craven, gutless cowards who killed thousands of people for nothing except the hope of destabilizing the American government and co- economy. There was no courage in that. They were, they were you know, they, somebody says, well, at least they, you know, what about the courage to die? Well, they were misguided. They were misguided. It doesn't take any courage when you think somebody is fixing to give you 70 virgins in the sky. You know, you're not brave. You're just misguided, uh, greedy, lustful nincompoop in that moment. 70 virgins. That's the reason why they're terrorists are never old. <laughs> 70 virgins. I just can't think of anything worse. But anyway, when, when, David, when David attacked the, 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 uh, the city of Jebus, the Jebusites, Responded with mockery and arrogance and condescension and overconfidence. In, in Judges chapter 6, the Midianites constantly terrorized the Israel, Israelites. They were, they were thieves stealing the substance of others and leaving nothing. In Judges 11, the Amorites made false accusations and they claimed ancient wounds and imagined outrages 
You know, the, the terrorist always justifies himself by claiming that he has some wound. Oh, oh, 10,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, somebody did something to my, my ancestor, to my grandfather, to my great-grandfather, my great-grandmother, my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. And now, because of that, I have the perfect right to blow your house up. In, in 2 Samuel 10, the Amorites used humili- humili- excuse me, humiliation and cruelty and outrages against dignity. David's emissaries, he had sent them uh, to, the, to, the, uh, to, to, Am- Am- excuse me, to Ammon to express grief over the death of their king. And they humiliated them. They treated them cruelly and, and they outraged their dignity. The, and listen, whether it is in an organization or a nation or a business staff or a local church or a family or whatever it may be, the terrorist spirit depends on fear and weak resolve in the general population. It depends, and we'll talk more about this in coming weeks, it depends on people who hate conflict so badly that they will do anything to avoid it. Spiritual terrorism in the church, it depends on the people in the church saying, I don't want to confront this situation. Let's try to figure out a way around it where we don't have to actually confront the situation. I don't want to have to deal with any conflict. Let's find an easy way out. And it depends on surprise and horror. But the question is, what beats terrorism? What beats terrorism? Well, only three things. First of all, you must expect it and confront terrorism the minute it begins. If you're the the leader of a church or a ministry or a business sooner or later you will have a rebel inside your deepest and most intimate staff you have to expect that and it's going to happen and you have to confront it the moment it begins not only that you have to empower those around you to discern the spirit of terrorism the minute it begins and then to to find strength to go through the contest with you you know, when your closest supporters and constituencies around you say, look, maybe this is just not worth it anymore. Maybe it's just not worth all of the trouble. Well, it's the beginning of the end for you and your leadership when you hear that. You have to have people around you. And when you're a leader, when, there's, when this sort of thing's going around, you have to have people around you who say, we're going to see this thing through. We're, we're going to beat this, this thing. We're, we're not giving in to these people. You know, World War II which now seems like to the current generation, it seems like ancient history. You know, for this generation, when you talk about World War II, you may, you may as well be talking about the Civil War because it's just way back there in their minds. But World War II was the direct result of European leadership that refused to confront a terrorist state until it was completely out of hand. So no, second thing, you must outlast terrorists. It's a long-haul battle. And again, remember, we're not just talking about political. We're talking about spiritual terrorism. The, the person who's, who's intent on getting their way in a church, for example, and who's doing some of these things, it's a long-haul battle. You know, when we talk about it in our culture, I'm not sure that Americans have the moral fortitude to outlast terrorists anymore. I'm just not sure where we are on that anymore. But in our church, in, in your organization, in your club, in your, in your ministry, you have to be able to discern the terrorist spirit, confront it early on, and, and then you have to empower your, your, your supporters, your constituency, your, your, the followers around you so, so that they will have the strength and the courage to, to outlast it. 
You say, stay with me. Walk through this with me. We can overcome this. And the truth is, it's just not going to be an overnight, overnight war. It's not going to be an overnight battle. You know, nothing ever really is. Finally, there, there is this. When, when, when David and his men returned to Ziklag and the town was destroyed, the terrorist had burned everything down. They had kidnapped all their wives and children. Does anybody remember what, what the first impulse was of David's men? They wanted to kill him. Exactly right. The first impulse was to kill David. The first impulse was to kill David. Now, David hadn't done it, had he? He hadn't done it. The terrorists said, if we will burn down Ziklag, if we will kidnap all the women and children, we won't have to kill David. We won't have to kill him because his own men will kill him. His own nation will turn against him. And all we have to do is create havoc and terror at such a level that they'll be looking for somebody to blame. You know, we have to blame somebody. We have to fasten this on somebody, you know. I mean, you see it, all the cockamamie, absolutely cockamamie conspiracy theories around 9-11 that this person or that person or this group or that group knew about what was going to happen or even caused it. I mean, there, were, there was a survey following 9-11 that said that 31% of the people in France believed that the United States staged 9-11. Well, that makes sense. Now, at some point... In time or another, you have to find strength beyond yourself. You know, when David's men began to foment rebellion and they began to talk about the possibility of killing David, they wanted revenge and David was the nearest one. He's, there, he's the leader. He's really the cause of this apparently. And, and when that was all going on, the very next sentence says, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You have to get over to into Psalm 91 and you have to live there. Isaiah 12, 2. I love this passage. It says this, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. You know, Dr. Mark Rutland told about a time when he was standing in a guard station in Accra, Ghana with a drunken soldier jamming an M16 into his belly button and slapping him in the face with his own passport and screaming, CIA! Now don't tell me you wouldn't be afraid in that moment because, like, if you tell me that, I'm not believing you. I'm not believing you. He was shaking in his boots. His, his heart was melting in his chest. His insides were just quaking. And he, he, thought, he thought, this kid's just going to shoot me by accident. And this, the soldier was was drunk and he was angry and when he arrived at the when Dr. Rutland arrived, arrived at that guardhouse and saw this drunken soldier that was so upset Dr. Rutland reached inside of his coat pocket and and he pulled out his US passport and listen and there are certain moments when that's probably not such a great idea and he pulled out that passport and he said I'm an American citizen all that well that didn't help any uh, and matter of fact, in some moments in time when, when you know America, everybody's angry at America, you might want to just stand up and sing Oh Canada. You know, you just, nobody's mad at them. That's, you just got to be careful. Anyway, that, that soldier, he, he did that, and the soldier just jerked his passport out of his hand and started slapping in the face with it, screaming, CIA, CIA, and with, his, with the finger on the trigger of his M16 pointed right at his stomach. And he, like I said, he thought to himself, he's just going to kill me accidentally. You know, Dr. Rutland said that he had trained himself in the 
early days of his ministry to get inside the refuge of God's word. And he began to get inside and began to say, behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. You know what? The one incalculable, incalculable reality that the terrorist can never really understand and can never believe is the power of faith. To get inside of God's word and believe. Though the missiles fall all day and the terrorist blows things up all night, I will not be afraid. Though a thousand fall on my right hand and ten thousand on my left, still I know that the Lord is my strength. He is my refuge. He is my sword. He is my shield. He is my breastplate. He is my everything. Until you can get in there and hold on to that, then terrorism will accomplish its great purpose in you, and that is to terrorize you. The one purpose of terrorism is terror. That's the one purpose. And you know who the master terrorist is? Satan himself. He wants you to live in terror. He wants you to live in fear. But, 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 but listen, when we begin to get into the word of God, we begin to see that the Lord God is my strength and my shield, that he is, he is my fortress. He is all of these things to me. Listen, here's what you understand, we have to understand. If, if, if terrorism, if it can't make you afraid then it fails in its primary mission. I want, I want to conclude with this story I, I, I heard from Dr. Rutland. He was preaching in a small village in northern Nigeria in 1981. At that time, uh, Nigeria was really going through some very, very difficult times. It was very dangerous to be on the highways. There were there was something like a million armed fighters, sort of renegade soldiers, kind of guerrilla bands that just kind of haunted the hills of the, of the nation. And they, they were left over from the Nigeria-Biafra War. Uh, there were guns everywhere. It was, it was a very dangerous time. I mean, they, these bands of armed men might just swoop down on a town and rob and kill and rape. You just didn't know what was going on. It was just a horrible, horrible time. And he was preaching a crusade in a small village in northern Nigeria. And the crusade had gone so well that uh, the village elders appealed to him to stay one more night. They said, one more service, stay one more service. But the problem was he had a flight out of Benin City in, in southern Nigeria the next day. And the only way that they could stay for another service would be if they drove all night. And nobody wanted to be on the highways at night. Nobody. The elders appealed, and, and eventually Dr. Rutland agreed, so they, they stayed, and they preached, and it was just a great night. And then six of them all got into a little beat-up Peugeot. It was uh, Dr. Rutland and, and five African pastors just jammed in this beat-up little car, and they were going to be heading straight to the airport in Benin City. And as they drove out of the village, it began to rain. And the road was very, very small. I mean, tiny, tiny with high banks on either side. It was so small that the grass on those banks would lean over and it would brush against the windows of the car. And the, the, the road, and, and, and really only the broadest euphemism would refer to it as a road, but the road was just a, this little trail was just a series of dirt hills. And, 
And, and in the basin in between each of those dirt hills, water began to fill up and the water got up to the door handles of the car. And, and, and because the road was so rough and all the water and all these things, there was no way to speed up. They were just creeping along. Everybody was so tense. It was, it was quiet. They had to keep their windows rolled up because of the rain. So it was really hot. You could just feel the tension in the car. And one of the pastors spoke up and said, if we can just get out of this forest and make it to the main highway, maybe we can make it. Well, Dr. Rutland began to pray within himself. He, he said, Lord, I know you're not going to let anything happen to me. I know you're not going to let anything to ha- happen to me. I, I'm claiming your divine protection. I know nothing is going to happen to me in this car. And the Lord spoke to him and said, how do you know? He said, I love Paul the Apostle, didn't I? He got his head cut off. Didn't I love my own son? He, I love my own son and he died on a cross. Didn't I, didn't I love John the Baptist? He died a horrible le- death. He said, what makes you so special? And Dr. Rutland said, Lord, I wasn't even afraid till you said that. And he, he said, Lord, are, are you telling me? Are are you telling me that I'm going to die tonight on this little lonely road in Nigeria? Now, now you you also need to understand to set the picture. It was a very bad time for uh, for African communications. And he had been in the nation of Ghana and he had left Ghana and he'd gone into the uh, this nation of Nigeria. It was an unplanned trip and and he couldn't wasn't able to get a phone call or any kind of message through to his family. So they didn't even know what country he was in at the moment. And, and, I mean, he's out there and on this road. If somebody just stepped out in the middle of the road with a gun, uh, they, they wouldn't have even had an uh, they couldn't even have gunned the car to. To, to, to knock him over. The road was just so rough that it, they would have broken an axle before they even got to him. And he, he could just see in his mind's eye, he could see himself being marched out through that chest-high sawgrass with his hands up in the air. And he could hear the bark of, the, of that gun and he could feel the bullets ripping into his back. And he thought to himself, they're going to roll my body out into the, this grass and my family isn't even going to know what happened to me. They'll never even know where I disappeared. And he said, Lord, are you telling me I'm going to die here tonight? And the Lord said, I'm telling you, I don't have to tell you. I am the Lord your God. He said, I'm telling you, trust me. Give me your life. Your death and the means and the manner and the time of your death. If you'll give that to me, then no terror can come upon you. He he said, he said, if you've already died, who can threaten you with death? Who can threaten you with death if you're already, if you're already a dead man? He said, if you're dead in this car and alive in me, then there is no terror that can come upon you. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust. And will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. Now that doesn't mean that nothing bad ever happens to good people. What it means is that terrorism cannot work with people who cannot be terrorized. Terrorism cannot work with people who cannot be made afraid because their confidence is in God. 
trust in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in Him and strengthen those around you for the long haul. And terrorism cannot, in the long run, win. Next week, we're going to begin talking about some of the specific areas of spiritual terrorism. And I, and I know this is very strange, very unusual tonight, but, but I, I believe next week when we get into this, it's going to begin to make a lot more sense and we're going to be able to see. Some of you will, will be able to look back in your history and you'll say, now I know what was going on in that moment. Because you'll see the spiritual dynamics of what was at play. But anyway, let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father... I pray that you would just take this sober message and just and drive it deep within our hearts. God, I pray that you will so surround us, so undergird us, so strengthen us that, that total peace will come upon us, Lord, and that no one, the, the, the terrorist with a, with a handgun cannot put terror on us because it cannot be, put ultimate fear on us, Lord God, because we know that ultimate security is ours. God, we, we want to trust you with our lives and, and we want peace, complete peace, not uh, uh, the peace that comes from resting in you, God. And we thank you for that, God. Lord God, we, we live in, in, terrible, uh, in a terrible world full of terrible, terrible people, people who are influenced by the enemy, who want to strike terror in our hearts. But I thank you, God, that you are our shield and our, and our wall. We will not be afraid of the pestilence by night nor the missiles that fly in the daytime because you, O Lord, are our strength and our refuge. And I'm believing you, Lord God, to give us that peace. Let your people walk in that kind of peace. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.